This is the sovereign hand of God, fulfilling His promises, purposes, and desires above Caesar, above the decree, above it all, God was at work. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We are officially in the Christmas season. Parades overtake Main Street. Trees light up living rooms and presents sit under those trees. The kids are jingle-belling and everyone is telling you to be of good cheer. And I think it's generally true that people smile a little more, laugh a little louder, and hope a little stronger this time of year. The Christmas season is and should be filled with hope. However, it's not because of a chubby dude squeezing into your chimney. It's not because that special someone will meet you under the mistletoe. Frosty may be a jolly, happy soul, but he can neither thrill nor heal your soul. Rudolph with his nose so bright may guide Santa's sleigh tonight, but he can't light your way to hope. Now, I hope none of you are looking to those fictional characters for hope this Christmas, but not even the realest people in our life can provide true hope. No matter how well-intentioned your parents, your siblings, or your grandma, they cannot provide you with hope. They may be downstream of hope, but they are not and cannot be the fountainhead of hope in your life. So then, what can and will fill our hearts with hope this season? We know the answer, don't we? It's Jesus. We've all heard the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season. Maybe you're not as cynical as I am, but I can also almost feel my eyes begin to roll when I hear that phrase because it, because it can and has become at times a trite expression. We say Jesus is the reason for the season and then dedicate much of the season to anything and everything other than Jesus. But friends, the truth is Jesus is actually, truly, and fully the reason for the season. And it is when we behold Jesus that we will be filled with true and definite hope. We may be familiar with the words of the first verse of O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The thrill of hope is the good news of Christmas. You may be drugged down by literally anything that is going on in your life and in this world. There is so much that can take hope away from us, but friends, there is hope, real, definite hope hope, and it is found in the good news of Christmas. So, in these couple weeks leading up to Christmas, we're going to walk through the original Christmas story in Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Now, just as with the phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season, we can almost be too familiar with the account of Christ's birth that it is stale and old to us. We've heard enough sermons preached about it and read it so many times that we may miss the beauty and glory of it. This passage is far from stale and old. It is the reminder that we need again and again. So let's slow down. Let's slow down and feel the drama, the glory, and the beauty of this text. Today we're going to look at the first seven verses. And see the event of Jesus' birth. And these seven verses describe the details of his birth in Bethlehem. Now we know about the manger, the swaddling clothes, and an inn with no vacancy. We know that Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem because of Micah's prophecy in Micah 5.2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, 
though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from of old, from everlasting. Jesus is that everlasting king who came forth from Bethlehem. And these seven verses declare that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now we may think of this in quaint terms. Ah, yes, prophecy fulfilled, promise kept, silent night, and all of that. Yet nothing is quite that simple about this text or about that easy about how God fulfilled this promise. It wasn't simple. It wasn't super easy. Have you noticed before what happened so that Jesus was born in Bethlehem? Did an angel tell Mary and Joseph to go there? No. Did a voice from heaven say, journey to Bethlehem? Nope. What was the event that prompted them to be in Bethlehem for when Jesus was born? A decree from a wicked ruler. In verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. Luke zooms out from the narrative of redemption for a second to show us what is going on in the world at large. The Roman ruler Caesar Augustus sends out a decree that all the world should be taxed. Every citizen of the Roman Empire was included in this census. Now, this was not a taxing like the one we think about where you have all that you've earned, all that you have added up, and the government figures out what they need to get from you. Rather, this is more like a census. It is where the government would take note of and account for all the people that are in the kingdom. The citizens of the kingdom would be numbered and accounted for. The king wanted to know how big and how bad his kingdom was. So he sent out a decree to see just how many people were under his rule. This is a sovereign decree from the sovereign ruler of Rome. When a ruler that great makes a decree, everyone must submit, and that's what happens. We see this in verse 3, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. All of the subjects of Rome did as they were told. They went to be census. They went to their hometown. This is just a political power play by Caesar that had been done before. The king over the known world at this time was beholding how great he is. This is a big decree from a big king. However, there is something even bigger going on in the world, and it's happening in the smallest of families, in the smallest of places. Luke zooms back into the main narrative. The worldwide decree included, of course, Joseph and Mary. These two characters that we meet in the beginning of Matthew, in the beginning of Luke, this decree would have been inconvenient for the world at large, but it would have been especially inconvenient for Joseph and Mary because they would have to, first of all, travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. In verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because he was a descendant of King David. However, he didn't live in Bethlehem. He couldn't just walk down the street to go to the census. No, he lived in Nazareth. This is about a 90-mile journey on foot. This is like going from High Point to Raleigh on foot. If you live in North Carolina, that's about an hour and a half in the car, going around 70 on the interstate. But for them, this 90-mile journey would have been a few days. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because he was a descendant of David. And since Mary was his engaged wife, she had to go with him. He couldn't leave her in Nazareth. She had to go to the census as well. 
Now, this may not seem supremely inconvenient till you consider this. Mary is pregnant and she is very, very pregnant. In verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. At first, verse 5 seems like a contradiction in human terms. Mary is his espoused wife, meaning they're not married yet, but she's also great with child. Now, we know from the rest of the story that Mary is a virgin. And because of the Lord's plan to come upon a virgin and so that that virgin would conceive the Messiah, we know that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14. But Mary is not yet married to Joseph, but she's great with child. And the fact that she's great with child is very important to the inconvenience of this story. The word great literally means that she's swelling. One definition said it means she's big with a child. Mary's not just kind of pregnant. She's not in an early trimester. No, Mary is at the stage of pregnancy that she may have the baby at any moment in time. Her water could break at any given moment. Traveling that far as a pregnant woman would have been supremely uncomfortable and inconvenient. I don't think I need to prove that to you. I think that's very easily understood. No husband or wife would want to make that journey, but they had to. And would you believe it? When they got to Bethlehem, guess what? She gave birth. And it was the birth of the Messiah. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now we know these details. Yes, she brought forth her son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes. She laid him in a manger and there was no room for them in the the end. Tell me something I don't know, Noah. These are the details, but have you considered why the details are here? They're not historical fluff. They're not just there because Luke needed some extra words. No, Luke went into painstaking detail about the events that led to Mary giving birth to Jesus in Bethlehem at the exact moment to show us that there's something bigger happening here. Have you considered all that had to just so happen so that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem? It just so happened that the decree went out nearing Mary's delivery date. It just so happened that Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because he was a descendant of David. It just so happened that Mary was very pregnant for the journey. It just so happened that Mary didn't have the baby during the journey. It just so happened that when they got to Bethlehem, Mary was ready to give birth to the babe in her womb. And it just so happened that the one promised to be born in Bethlehem was born in Bethlehem. The decree goes out at just the right time, and they begin the journey at just the right moment, so that by the time they make it to Bethlehem, not before, not after, not while they're on the journey or when they get home from the journey, but while they are in Bethlehem, Mary is ready to give birth. And it also just so happened that the babe in Mary's womb is the one that the angel told her would be the Savior, and that told Joseph he was the fulfillment of Isaiah 7:14. God with us. And if that is so, it also just so happened that the one in Mary's womb was the one promised to be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5.2. It just so happened like all of this, right? It's just a coincidence. It's all a streak of sheer luck, isn't it? Of course not. It wasn't an accident that Caesar's decree went out when it did. It wasn't an accident that Joseph was a descendant of David so that he had to go to Bethlehem for it. 
It wasn't an accident that they left when they did so that Mary didn't give birth on the journey. It wasn't an accident that Mary was ready to give birth when they were in Bethlehem. It was not an accident that Mary gave birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. None of this was an accident. God made a promise that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So he was working so that Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem exactly when it was time for her to give birth to the Messiah. This is the sovereign hand of God fulfilling his promises, purposes, and desires above Caesar, above the decree, above it all, God was at work. While the king of this world was wanting to see how big and how great his kingdom was, the king of everything, the Lord, was showing off how great he was by sending this small insignificant family to Bethlehem so that the Savior would be born there. Our God is not a God who needs glamour and glitz to accomplish His purposes. The birth of Jesus was not glorious by man's standards. No one saw, no one knew, at least yet, we'll see next week, that people would know, and it would be the greatest news ever. While the rest of the world was focused on Rome, heaven was focused on a manger in Bethlehem. God was using the plans of Caesar to accomplish the greatest plan ever, redemption. This, the birth of Jesus, is the dawning of hope. For ages, they had looked and waited and watched for the Messiah. They had looked as this one was born and as that one was born, and they wondered, is this the seed of the woman that God said would come and would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15? And every time it was a resounding, no, he's not good enough. Not Abraham, not Noah, not David, not any of them. But now, he's here. The one that God said would be hope incarnate is here. Brothers and sisters, when we look in the manger, we see the one through whom all hope comes true. We put hope in people, we put hope in things, we put hope in our finances, in our education. You know what happens? It lets us down. But when you look in these first seven verses and see the incarnation of hope, you see one that never has, never does, and never will let down. This is hope. This is joy. This is peace because the Savior is born.